0: to see you all. Hey, if you have a Bible, go to Luke 9. Three verses this morning. Luke chapter 9. Happy almost Halloween. (laughs) I hear you, man. I hear you. All right, Luke chapter 9, verse 18. I'm going to read three verses. We're going to pray right after that, and then we'll jump into the Word. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus, my prayer is simple this morning. Help me get out of the way. And may the distractions and the things that are taking our attention away from you this morning, uh, may those voices be quiet, may those notifications go still. Um, Lord, may uh, we have an opportunity to just sit and hear from your word. And um, Lord, we open our hearts to your spirit, that you would speak to us wherever we're at and whatever we're facing, and that we would be humble enough to receive and respond. We love you in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I need a volunteer. I need someone who is willing. Come on, I need a volunteer. Anyone, 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 anyone. Blake? Is that you? Come up here, my friend. Come up here. Come on up. Front and center, right here. Come on. Blake? Yeah. Hi? Hi. How are you? You're good. Okay. You're going to help me with something here. This morning, you are going to lead this group in a slow clap. Do you know what that is? Yeah. You know, can, you, can you handle that? Yeah. Okay, so this is what's going to happen. Anyone know what a slow clap is? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay, good, good. I got some yeses. Okay, so we're going to start with the slow clap, and he's going to build with momentum and get louder and louder. And then at the very end, are you awake? Because I wasn't very sure you were awake when I said "What's up" earlier, so I'm gonna make sure you're awake. And I need at the ver- like the apex of your clapping, the high point. I need everyone to cheer loud, and then I'm gonna go stop like that, and then you're gonna be as quiet as you can. All right, you get me? Slow clap, right, and then stop. Are we good, Blake? Le- lead us, my friend. Okay. Okay. So yes. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, give me a will. Woo! What's Thank you, sir. Well done. I was very, very impressed. Blake, well done. Well done. Okay. What you just experienced is called momentum. Momentum. Hear me here. Hear me here. Come on, stick with me. Come on, guys. The junior hires recovered a lot faster than you did. Come on, stick with me here. (laughs) Momentum is a strength of force gained by a series of events. Okay, So a few things happen, and all of a sudden it picks up, and it picks up, and all of a sudden the energy in the entire room changed. Am I right? You went from murmuring and quiet to awake hopefully, or more awake, and something happened in the atmosphere of this room, okay? So here's why I bring that up. is very simple. In the context of the text we just read, so the story surrounding what Jesus did, this is what Jesus was up to. So just before, Jesus calmed a storm, right? So the winds and the rain, they were waging. He took a nap. He woke up, and he said, shut up, He said, calm, storm, be still, and it stopped. Anyone ever done that before? I didn't think so. Me neither. So this is the kind of week Jesus is having. Then he restores a demon-possessed man, right? Guy had a demon. He doesn't have a demon anymore. And not only that, but he restores him to normal, functioning life, okay? Then after that, he decides, I'm going to raise this girl from the dead, and I'm going to heal someone who struggled with an illness her entire life, okay? Not a bad day either, then he sends out the 12, and guess what they're doing? Casting out demons, healing people, and preaching the gospel. Okay? And then if that wasn't enough, what does Jesus decide to do? He decides to take a middle school's lunchbox and feed over 5,000 people. Right? The text says 5,000, but they're only counting the men. So there was women, and there was children. That number would have been much higher, double or more than that. And there was leftovers, right? Because what's a party without leftovers, right? So this is the week that Jesus is having. This is the momentum. Jesus was a leader, still is. He started a movement called the church. You're a part of that if you're a believer. This isn't just about an organization with four walls and a roof. This is about something that changed the world forever that Jesus started. He's leading this movement. But in the middle of all of that, crazy things happening, he stopped. He completely stopped. Any conventional wisdom would tell you, ride the wave of momentum, right? Keep going. It's on your side. But Jesus pulls back, and he does the complete opposite of what you would expect. The question for us today is why, and what did he do? Why did he do it, and what? So he pulls away, and it says he goes to a place in private, and he prays. Now, the first thing Jesus does as he goes in private and prays is he reflects, Reflects on what's happening around him, what people are saying, um, and expectations. But he prays. The text says he prays. So he gets away from the craziness. He rests, he thinks, and he prays. I just put rest and pray because I think praying and thinking are synonymous sometimes. But that's what Jesus did. He rested, he thought, and he prayed. And one of the things that we see Jesus thinking about, first and foremost, is his identity. Who am I really? Isn't that the question that haunts every single one of us in the room? Who am I really? If you all knew who I really was, would you love me? Would you accept me? So I'll just put a mask on. I'll just hide. I'll just pretend. The author of Hebrews in the Bible says this. says this. There it is. Thank you, Daniel. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So Jesus knows what it's like to be in high school. Well, maybe not. He probably didn't have a high school. But he knows what it's like to be the same age as you. He knows what it's like to go through puberty. Whoa, shocking. His voice probably cracked, right? Because the scriptures say that Jesus in every way was God and yet fully human. And so he experienced the emotions, the fears, the anxieties, the pressures, all of the things that you face. And the Bible tells us because God became human in Jesus, he can empathize with us. He can connect with us. He knows what it's like to feel what you feel. And so we can then look at Jesus and his life and learn and respond. And he can teach us how to be fully human, to be everything that God has made you to be. And so Jesus takes time to think about that question, who am I really? And it isn't just simple answer to the question, right? All of you are like, well, that's easy. You're you're God, right? No, In his humanity, he had to think about these things. He had to wrestle with them. And he was tempted to think about other things that he should be known for. Okay? So, but in this, he takes time, he listens. Who am I really? The answer to that question is, who is he? He's the son of God. Do you know that the New Testament calls you children of God as well? That you actually are. You have an identity that is hidden in God in Christ. Right? So, the world wants to label you. You're this, you're that, and another thing. Or you're not enough here, or you're not enough there. But the Bible gives you something that no one can take away, which is a firm identity in Christ. Right. So no matter what you're thinking or feeling or you're fearful for, or maybe you label yourself as a liar, a cheater, a stealer, or you fill in the blank, not good enough here or there, the Bible says not only that you're enough, but you're a child of the living God. That is the message. So Jesus takes time to think and reflect on that. One of the ways... That that manifests itself or lives out in our life is that we are owners, not st- or excuse me, we are stewards, not owners. Okay, big word, steward. Let me throw a picture of a grumpy looking old guy up here. Yes, Lord of the Rings. Anyone? Come on, woo woo woo. Thank you. Yes, this man, his title—I don't remember his name because it's some weird name—but his title in the movie is Steward of Gondor. Now, if you know the story, Gondor has no king. The king has gone away. That's why the third movie is called Return of the King, because the king comes back. But anyways, I won't ruin it for you. He is the steward of Gondor, and a steward's job is to manage or look after someone else's property. Okay. So part of the story in, in this movie, which is interesting, is the king comes back, and the steward doesn't like it. Because the king says, no, we have to wade into enemy territory. We have to take ground, and the steward is like, no, 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 I like my comfort. I just want to sip here and sit here and sip whatsoever in that cup, right? So, next picture, this is the problem. When the steward is reflecting on his identity, he forgets who should be on the king's throne. Right? His chair and the king's chair are two different places. The same is true for your life and my life. You are a child of the living God, which means you are a steward of the things that God has given you. He's the owner, not you. So it's not your phone. It's not your time. It's not your money or lack thereof money. Um, it's not your classes or your clubs or your sports teams. These are gifts that God has given you to steward for his kingdom. And he has something to tell you about how you go about navigating them. So next point. What is my next point? Yes. How do we go about stewarding the things of God and making sure that we're making the most of our identity in him and doing what he's asked us to do? We follow the example of Jesus. Jesus took time to wade through expectations, experiences, and criticism. A word on each. Expectation. You should look like this. You should act like this. You should talk this way, and you should be friends with these people, and you shouldn't be friends with those people. Those are expectations. Sometimes we put them on ourselves, and sometimes other people dictate and put them on us, right? Sometimes it's a broader culture. It's your Instagram feed, or it's the Yahoo News feed, or whatever it would be that people say, this is what you should think, and this is what you should look like, and all of a sudden you end up looking at them, measuring yourself against them, and feeling less than. Anyone with me? right? Okay, maybe not. No one's with me. Okay, I'm on a journey by myself. You know that Jesus actually had to deal with all of these things, too, because everybody else had expectations about where Jesus should be, Jesus should be, what he should be doing, what he should look like. You know that he was actually looked down upon because of his ethnicity, because of his race, where he was from. Text literally reads, nothing good comes from the place Jesus grew up in. Okay? There was a thought that he couldn't be anything special because he grew up in a podunk town. Okay? So hear me on this. Jesus knows what it's like to wade through those expectations. So he takes time to think about those experiences. We already put the list up of all the crazy things Jesus had experienced. But you also have to understand that he experienced positive things and negative things. In the wake of healing people and raising them from the dead, there were people who called him Satan himself. Right? So Jesus had to weigh through all of these, and you do as well. My encouragement is to do what Jesus did. Pray, rest, think. Okay, so experiences, some of them that you may process, that I may process. Did you fail the test? Did you miss the shot? Could have won the game. Did you get dumped? (laughs) Or maybe more seriously, have you been bullied? Were you embarrassed? Blake's like, yeah, you made me come up here and do the slow clap thing, right? were you excited, or maybe you were complimented, or maybe you made the team, or you got the date, or whatever. These are experiences of your life. Things You're having an experience right now. These are things that you're, whether it's good or bad, that's up to you to decide, but you're having an experience right now. Your life is full of them. If we let them just go by, we will process things in our mind, information, and respond to it subconsciously. Jesus could have let everything go by, but he slowed down to think about what he was going through. And the next is he had to weigh through criticism. So a word on criticism. I don't know about you, but when I hear that word, it sounds like a bad word to me. It sounds like I did something wrong, you know? Like it sounds like I, I like hurt somebody's feelings or I offended somebody or, um, or somebody didn't like me for some reason, so they were critical. And that's definitely a kind of criticism. But you also need to hear that there is something called constructive criticism. And it comes from people that love you. And it comes from people that want the best for you. So oftentimes there will be coaches or there will be teachers or there will be pastors or parents or grandmas or grandpas or uncles or aunts. or You fill in the blank and they'll say, hey, do this or not do that. And you'll be like, whoa, 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 defense. Don't you dare step into my world. But you have to understand. And there are times for boundaries like that. Don't get me wrong. you have to understand that some criticism is worth us meditating, thinking on, reflecting on. Jesus had a sea of criticism. He had a sea of different things that people were saying about him. Okay, you don't believe me? Look at the text. Jesus says, who do they say I am? The crowds, the multitudes, thousands of people. Who do they say I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Still others, that you're a prophet. And then he he kind of brings the question back to his close friends. Who do you say I am? And more on that in a minute. But the next thing that I have is keep your family close. What I mean by family isn't like just your nuclear family, meaning like the people that are related to you. I mean your Christian community. Like keep the people who love Jesus and love you near and dear into your life. Um, I, I journey across the parking lot every, a lot of Sundays to come hang out with you guys. A lot of the time I'll just sit in the back and I'll pray and I'll watch what's happening. And one of the things that breaks my heart, because this was my story, is I would sneak into the youth group, whenever it was happening, and I wouldn't talk to a single soul. And I would hide in the corner. And I, I never, until I was 19 years old, had a Christian friend in my life. But I grew up in the church. And that's easy to do. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm doing it right now. I get it. I walked in your shoes. And I will tell you that there was a price to be paid by doing that. If I had just had one person who loved me say, don't, Don't you shouldn't go with that girl or just one person that said, hey, man, I know you're disappointed about the playing time. You're not getting in the game, but God's got a plan. If I just had a peer or a friend, how much time energy could have been saved? Could have been decisions, mistakes could have been avoided. Come near to your community. I know it's awkward (laughs) and I know it's weird. In the Bible, in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, God says it is not good for mankind to be alone. This is before sin, right? So in God's perfect good world, he made you to need each other, right? Every one of you. There's no loner in the kingdom, right? Doesn't exist. Now, some of you need like 55,000 friends, and some of you need like two. That's great. You're different. But the point is very simple, that you need each other. And not just peers and friends, but you need people, like I said, the aunts, the uncles, the grandmas, the grandpas, You need people like me, old guy, come over here and speak to you. Like you need friends, and you need mentors, and parents, and spiritual parents, and all the above. But glob onto community. It's important. But hear me. Here's my warning to you. Don't be exclusive. You're going to want to pull away, create a little safe community, and then become a clique and let nobody in. That's a human tendency because of sin. You're like, yeah, there's like 15 clicks in here. I get it. No, like, maybe there's not, and I hope there's not. But Jesus tears down the walls that make clicks, right? Be an inclusive community. Welcome people that are not like you into your friendships. Jesus had this to say, and I'll finish on this point. Jeff, come up. You can do communion. Jesus had this to say, which I think is beautiful. It's very simple, that the world will know that you are a disciple of Jesus because of what? Your love for each other. Not because you have a great message or a bumper sticker or a sign or you have all your theology in a row and you can preach a sermon. No, because of your love for one another. So when you go to your schools or your sports teams or your homeschool or wherever it would be, remember that. That there is a message in how you treat people. And it isn't one of words, it's of action. Show one another the love that Jesus is showing his disciples here, that Jesus is showing you. Show that love to one another and let people into your lives and invite them in. And that's why, Jeff, we're going to take communion because communion is about that. It's about taking a whole, I won't steal your message, but it's taking a whole group of diverse and different people and bringing them into one family. So Jeff, I hand the mic off to you. Can we give it up for Alex, guys?